0: Well, today I'm going to add the ninth message (laughs) to the Fruit of Transformation series that I have been on, been stuck in for the past several months, and I believe this is probably one of the most insightful series that I have ever had opportunity to minister. When we come to faith in Christ Jesus, we are thoroughly and completely transformed in our spirit. However, man consists of more than just a spirit. How many of you know he's got a soul? How many of you know he has a body? And both of those have a language of their own, don't they? How many of you know that it's important to also be healthy in our soul and in our body? I believe there's a connection. The scriptures tell us when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers with it. And I know that it's referring to the body of Christ. But there's a connection. The scriptures tell us that we are to work out our salvation. Well, let me ask you the question, where do we work it out from? That tells me salvation is on the inside if we're working it out. It doesn't tell us to work in our salvation, does it? It says work out your salvation. So where do we work it out from? Well, from our spirit, from the secret place, if you will, from the place of perfection. Now, healing toxic emotions such as anger and fear and jealousy and emptiness and guilt and loneliness and inadequacy and shame and frustration and condemnation Healing those kind of toxic emotions is a very significant component of soulless transformation. Unfortunately, we spend too much time focusing on trying to heal every one of those wayward emotions, not realizing that if we would just allow God's grace, God's truth to really saturate our soul, that the healing will take place simultaneously. And so we end up chasing our tail, trying to get healed in all these areas all these areas that affect our soul and ultimately our body. So the question becomes, how do we heal toxic emotions? I don't think anything does it more quickly, and certainly nothing does it more perfectly than the revelation of the finished work of grace. Grace digs the grave for toxic emotions. We often end up hosting the parasites, of these toxic emotions because we don't know what we have been given through the new covenant. That's why we sound like a broken record at times. We are constantly pointing you back to the covenant that you have with Christ because encapsulated in that covenant is everything that pertains to life and godliness. And because we don't know what we've been given through the new covenant, we develop sometimes wrong images of God because we have these fragmented understandings of the new covenant. Now listen to me. I'm going to tell you something. I have not had a drink of soda since November of 1996. Not one drink. But if you were to put a blindfold on me right now and put a Pepsi in front of me, and a Dr. Pepper, and a 7-Up, and a ginger ale, I don't care how many sodas you lined up right there, and with a blindfold on, I'll tell you unequivocally, I could tell you which one was which. You say, now Mark, how do you know you could do that? Because my taste buds have memory. Even though I have not tasted that in 25 years almost, my taste buds have memory. And so it is with spiritual doctrines that we have learned from a child. No matter if the doctrines were far from the truth, they become our reality. And these doctrines, what they do is they establish wrong images, of the new covenant of Jesus's finished work. And as a consequence, what happens is we believe some of these inaccuracies, these erroneous things, and many people stay trapped in toxic emotions. They don't know how to get out of it. They just think that this is part of my Christian life. No, it's not, friends. Being trapped in guilt and shame and fear, in inadequacy, shyness is a form of that. It's a light form of that. But you don't know who you are in Christ. One thing I do know about the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it makes you bold. Very bold. Because you come as his ambassador. You come as his representative. I don't have anything personally to say on my own. I come in his name. I come in his power. I come in his authority. I come in his love. I come in his manifestation of grace and beauty. Wrong images and toxic emotions cannot steal our salvation. Why? Because our salvation is a finished work. But they can steal our dreams. They can definitely steal our dreams and they can steal our emotional and our physical well-being, our physical health, our emotional well-being. That is for sure. Your salvation? No. Finish work. Working out the salvation from the spirit man. Nothing can steal that. You are sealed until the day of redemption. How many of you know that our kidneys are the twin filters of the body? You know what they do? They rid our body of waste and toxins. Chronic conditions and poor maintenance can increase the risk of us developing kidney disease. Did you know that stress brought on by Things I just talked about guilt and shame and fear and condemnation. I'll make the list a little bit shorter. But those kind of conditions, those kind of thoughts in our mind, you know what they do? They increase our blood pressure. And high blood pressure, in turn, affects the kidneys. I told you we were three parts, but these three parts all work together, they're all connected. Would you have ever thought that the emotional realm could affect the physical realm? Well, sure it does, friends. For this reason, I mean, if there was just one reason, I would say it's essential to eliminate stress, to eliminate condemnation, so that you will be in better physical and emotional health. How does one do that, you ask? By reestablishing the flora, in case you don't know what flora is, it is the vegetation, if you will, of the new covenant on the inside of us. And when we do that, we simultaneously are healed of toxic emotions. How do I know this? Because I have walked this road. And yes, I'm still walking this road. God is still working in my heart to completely heal me in my emotional realm, in my soulish realm. I don't know if we ever in this world ever become complete. I would probably say no, but I can tell you one thing. I am not where I used to be years ago, even just a few years ago, because he has dealt a death blow to those toxic emotions. How? Through the new covenant, the reality, the awareness of the new covenant of grace, the benefits of the new covenant of grace in the process What happens is we recover our hopes. We recover our plans. We recover our desires that we had at one time. And friends, we recover our dreams. With that thought in mind, I want to minister for a few minutes this morning through a message I'm calling Dream Weaver. How many of you know that a painter paints? A drummer drums. A boxer boxes, a plumber plums. A singer sings and a dancer dances. Does it surprise you that a weaver weaves? It shouldn't. The weaver interlaces strands of common material, insignificant material, and he weaves it together. And in the process, the weaver makes something more beautiful. He makes something more complete. He makes something more functional, if you will. If you were to create a pile of just bamboo strips or linen strips, how many of you know there wouldn't be anything beautiful about that pile? There wouldn't be anything complete about that pile? There wouldn't be anything functional about that compilation? Each strip in itself is nothing. And friends, each individual without God is nothing. In him we are all things, without him we can do nothing. Jesus said those words himself. The scriptures tell us that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. You see, put together, three strands, what they do is they unite to become stronger, more functional. I love that. I love that thought. Because when I think about being united with Christ and God, and the Holy Spirit's the three strands, if you will, of the Godhead that I become stronger in them. The same thing is true about humanity. When we get our spirit and our soul and our body to get along, to unite, to speak the same language, to come into agreement with one another. I think sometimes our biggest fight is against our own selves to be honest with you, not necessarily another person. But when our soul can come into agreement with daddy's heart and daddy's will for our lives, we become stronger in that area. And so inside of us, we already have everything that pertains to life and godliness. As we work this truth out through our souls and into our bodies, we become stronger in these realms. Sewn together, strips of linen can unite to create a coat of many colors, a coherent ensemble, if you will. We have been weaved together by our Father, and we are complete in Christ Jesus. He has taken the time. Even in Psalm 107, verse 20, it talks about He mends us. He sent His word, it says, and He heals us. It literally means he mends us with stitches. That's what that word means. We lack no good thing. We have everything we need. There's not a person under my voice, both here and that will listen to this message later, that is wearing the same clothes you wore at birth. Are you? Yet many believers want to wear that old time religion. I'm talking about the religion that most of us were raised on. A religion, listen to me carefully, you know what it does? It mixes all. Old Covenant with New Covenant. How many of you have ever mixed sauerkraut with your ice cream? Can I get you to raise your hand? It's a terrible combination, isn't it? It's repulsive, isn't it? It should be equally repulsive when we think about mixing the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. Because the New Covenant has life. The Old Covenant is the ministry of death. And when you mix death with life, you end up with something lukewarm it's not a good combination. You see, when we mix the old covenant with the new covenant, and most people do it literally in ignorance, they're not aware they're even doing it. It's because they have a memory that they were raised on. They have a default that they were raised on, and this is what they go back to. But in mixing those two covenants together, you know what we're declaring? We're declaring that Jesus's blood was insufficient to take away our sins. We need to help him. We need to bring our own sacrifice, whether that's literally a sacrifice or some sort of penance that we do, some sort of sacrifice that we do. This is foolishness, friends. This is nonsense. You will never get set free in your emotional realm if you are mixing these two covenants together. But I've got good news for you. We've been clothed in garments of praise. Our robe of righteousness was not slipped over the grave clothes of the old covenant Our grave clothes were completely removed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we see that picture in the story of Lazarus. When Jesus comes along, he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said, Roll away the stone. He said, Come forth. And I'll bet you there was no hesitation when Jesus said those words See you in the morning. You got to hit the snooze button, don't you? Come on. Yeah, the alarm goes off. You got to hit the snooze button a time or two. (laughs) There was no snooze button on Lazarus. When Jesus said, Come forth, man, I'll bet you in two seconds he was standing at the mouth of that cave. But he was bound in what? Strips of linen, the scriptures say. Grave clothes. And the author of life said, take away the stone. Symbolically, take away the law, take away the stone tablets, take away the stone. But he understood, look, just taking away the stone doesn't give you life. You got to have Christ speaking into your heart. That's why he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. Oh, I wish I could have been there to see that. I'd give a life savings to watch that movie in real time. And Lazarus came walking forth. I don't know what it looked like, probably like the Michelin Man. He came walking forth all bound up in linen. And Jesus looked at Lazarus' family and friends. What did he say to his family and friends? He said, Loose him. Some versions, take away the grave clothes and let him go. In other words, I've called him from the dead. I want you now to release him from the smell of death. And I want you to take the strips that once bound him away. And I really feel like our ministry is a ministry of that. To release people from the stench of death. To release people from the stench of behind the stone. And wearing the grave clothes of condemnation. So the robe of righteousness wasn't slipped over Lazarus's grave clothes. He said, no, no, we got to deal with those grave clothes. Take them off of him. They're not fitting for a man with life, resurrection life. Lazarus just experienced resurrection life. You are not made to wear grave clothes of condemnation and shame, and guilt, and loneliness, all this stuff that messes with our mind. Remember, I said you were perfect in your spirit. Scriptures will tell us that. But you don't have to live much more than two seconds to find out you ain't perfect in your soul, the way you think, your emotional realm, you know. You are not perfect in your body, right? But you can become more and more like him in that area as what's on the inside of you moves through your mind and your will and your emotional realm and into your members of your body affecting every part of the whole man. Absolutely. The old covenant operated by the law. Yet the law, in its perfection, made nothing perfect. That sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? The perfect law made nothing perfect? That'd be like a perfect meal tasting terrible. It just doesn't make sense. How can something perfect not make perfect? Well, because it wasn't designed that way. It was designed for other reasons. Not where I'm going today, but it wasn't designed to make anybody perfect. The perfect law made nothing perfect. You say, Pastor Mark, you got a scripture on that? Oh, I've got many of them about that. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. The writer said, there is indeed a setting aside of the former commandment. That's the law, friends. He said, there is indeed a setting aside of the former commandment because of the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. And then he says, for the law made nothing perfect. Look, you want to argue with me about this? I want you to look at those words. What does it say? Does it say the law made some things perfect? No, the law made nothing perfect. And so don't get on your little high horse thinking I'm going to do all this stuff under the law to make myself more perfect. You're not going to be any more perfect if you do that. In fact, you're going to be troubled in your emotional realm. You cannot get free if you keep this mindset that I got to obey the laws. Remember what I said a few messages ago? It's like that dog, that kibbles and bits dog. He's going down the sidewalk, all he's got on his mind, kibbles and bits, kibbles and bits. I'm going to get me some kibbles and bits, kibbles and bits, kibbles and bits. Oh, I remember that commercial. It's a one-track mind when you go down this thing with the law. And there's nothing you can ever do, no amount of it that you can ever obey to make yourself perfect. Look what it says. This is for the law made nothing perfect. Oh, I love that. But come on, man. But is a conjunction. It's the eraser, if you will. It just erased all that stuff for the law made nothing perfect. But what did make us perfect? The bringing in of a better hope by which we draw nigh unto God. So you know they're talking about Jesus here, friends, because nobody comes to the Father except they come through Christ, right? Spirit's got to draw you, all three components of the Godhead braided like a cord, drawing you to him. He said, which we draw nigh unto God. So the law made nothing perfect, even though it was perfect. Now, the new covenant works by grace, and grace makes us absolutely perfect. We see that truth in my favorite scripture, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. Oh, I love this scripture. I told you many times, don't you ever forget it, Valerie. If I go before Jesus comes, I want that scripture on the back panel of the lid of my casket as people walk by my still body and they take a look at that scripture right there for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Oh my Lord, I love that scripture. For by one sacrifice, whose sacrifice? His sacrifice. By one sacrifice, He has. Speaking of past tense, an action in the past still becomes our reality in the present and future. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You say, oh, there you go. You see, it's a process, Mark. Those who are being made holy. And maybe some won't reach the state of holiness because they're on this journey. Oh, no, we've reached it, friends. You say, how do you know? You just mark my word, four scriptures before that. It says we were made holy by Jesus' body on the tree. I'm telling you growing up, friends, I can't tell you how many tracks I put in people's hands about how to be more sanctified, how to be more holy, And boy, I thought I was really doing something. And I'll tell you what, God honored my faith, God honored my heart. He really did. And there's no doubt in my mind, as many of those things I passed out, somebody got saved by reading them. But I'm telling you, you cannot get free in your soul. You will never get rid of the grave clothes of condemnation until you come under the finished work of grace. We are made holy by his body on the tree. You see, why is it so hard for us to understand that we've been made holy by his body on the tree? The scriptures use that word made quite a bit. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. We're not becoming the righteousness of God in Christ. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. And According to this scripture right here, we've been made perfect by his once for all sacrifice. Speaking of being made, the old covenant was made too. Did you know that? And I'll tell you how it was made. It was made obsolete, friends. We can find that in Hebrews 8.13. I'm not going there right now. But yeah, the old covenant was made obsolete. How did it get made obsolete? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what made the old covenant obsolete. In fact, this is liberating. I've said it before. I think it bears repeating. The Gentiles were never under the old covenant. Now ask yourself, are you a Jew or are you a Gentile? Okay. You decide that. But the Gentiles were never under the Old Covenant to begin with. Friends, a Taco Bell manager has complete authority at Taco Bell. But he has no authority at Pizza Hut. Do you see how that works? Likewise, the believer is not under the authority of the Old Covenant. To wear the Old Covenant is to wear Saul's armor. An armor that does not fit God's people. It does not fit God's beloved. Isn't that what David said when he tried it on? Saul said, come here, David, you're going to go fight Goliath. Let's at least put my stuff on you. And Saul was a much bigger guy. And I don't care if that stuff would have fit him perfect. If it would have been custom tailored for him, it wouldn't have mattered. David said, this stuff doesn't fit me. This is not what I'm used to. What I'm used to is trusting in God. I didn't have this stuff on when I killed the lion. I didn't have this stuff on when I killed the bear. What I'm used to is trusting in God. And somehow you want me to trust in your big gigantic sword. You want me to trust in your bronze helmet. You want me to trust in all this plated armor. He said, I can't wear this stuff. And he took it off. Of course, you know the story. He put a rock in a rag and he started slinging that and Boom, right between the eyes, the only part of that man that was showing, the only flesh that was showing. Now, come on. I believe David was a good shot, but I believe it was guided by God, too, don't you? He had the first laser-guided rock of all history, boom, right between the eyes. And that didn't kill Goliath. He took Goliath's own sword and cut Goliath's head off and then grabbed that nappy head of hair and came back and said, look what I've got. I didn't need the help of you. Saul, I looked to God when this uncircumcised Philistine came after us. We're God's beloved too. David understood. His name literally means beloved. He understood I'm God's beloved. I'm his beloved. And friends, when you get that revelation that you're his beloved, he loves you to the core and back. And there's nothing he won't do for you. Nothing he won't do for us. If our dreams include transformation of the soul, I'm talking about the mind, I'm talking about your will, your emotion. If it's on your bucket list, if it's on your checklist, if your dreams say, I want to be more transformed. I don't like being under guilt and shame and condemnation and loneliness. I don't like all this stuff. This is my emotional realm. So if your dreams include transformation of the soul, then We are going to have to let Jesus' finished work on the cross weave the new covenant graces into the hemispheres of our brains, the wills of our hearts, and into the chambers of our emotions. When grace and truth become our reality, then striving to become and striving to maintain our righteousness will cease. I'm so at rest. Does that mean I never blow it? Oh, no. Man, I've got a colleague at work that can bring the best out of me, man. Doesn't mean I never blow it, but I'm so at rest. So at rest. You see, I've learned that the new covenant does not depend upon the believer's performance. You need to get that in your heart this morning. The new covenant does not depend. It was not written with an I will if you will. It is not dependent upon the new creation in Christ's performance. The new covenant imputes righteousness apart from works. The new covenant cometh by grace <laughs> through faith. I was sitting there yesterday when the Lord put this image in my head and I felt like I heard the Holy Spirit say this. He said, Do you know that it's impossible for a man to swallow an ice cube and that ice cube not change in constitution? Why does the ice cube change? I'll tell you why. Because it's in a new environment. It's in this warm environment of transformation. And if a believer wants to remain, he wants to stay under the stone-cold law of the old covenant, then he will remain, she will remain, more cold, more rigid. But when a believer embraces the warm and gracious, loving heart of the gospel, he cannot, she cannot remain the same their constitution will change. What am I mean by that? I'm talking about their emotional realm will begin to change. He becomes a puddle in the hands of a warm and loving God. In the hands of God, man's grave clothes fall off of him in strips of linen, and he discovers that he was not made to wear Saul's armor like David. He's reminded, even in those tender moments, that I am my father's beloved. I'm safe and secure in his grip. Jesus said, I've not lost one that you put into my hands, daddy. Transformation begins with the revelation that Jesus' blood was and is and will forever be sufficient to conquer our sin problem. I want you to lock that in your heart for a moment. His blood was and is and will forever be sufficient to conquer our sin problem, not just Defeat it. Conquer it, friends. See, if you defeat something, it can come back later. But when you conquer it, it doesn't come back. You conquered it! We were enemies of Christ one time. We were conquered by His love. We were conquered by His grace. We're no longer enemies. We're on the same side. Albert Einstein was quoted saying this. He said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. I think that's brilliant, to be honest with you. Let me say it a different way. If the flesh created the sin problem, then the flesh cannot solve the sin problem. Okay, I spiritualized it, didn't I? Listen, a train can kill a man, but it has no ability to bring life to a man. In fact, a train won't even apologize if it kills you. The scriptures tell us that the law is the ministry of death. It can steal dreams and it can kill a man, but it cannot impart life. And the law will never apologize for being cold and rigid. Furthermore, the law never once complimented its followers. You could have followed it to the letter. Never once do you see the law complimenting you. Looking to the flesh to heal toxic emotions, or to apologize somehow, give an excuse for our behavior, is just as juvenile. Friends, nothing can wash away our sin except the blood of Jesus. When weaving, one can weave a cloth, one can weave a blanket, one could weave an article of clothing, one could weave a basket, and some people will take time to weave somebody's hair. But how many of you know That when you weave something, you go over and then under, (laughs) over and then under, inside and outside, inside and outside. You say, Pastor Mark, what is your point? My point is this. There are going to be times when life will weave us into circumstances we didn't ask for. We don't appreciate. Like COVID-19, like chaos in our streets, like corruption in our government. One moment we're on top, the next moment we're on the bottom. One moment we're on the inside, the next moment we're on the outside. You say, what difference does it make if we're on the inside or the outside? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. If there were a blizzard going on this very moment, I mean, a worst kind of blizzard you've ever known, Let me ask you a question. Would you rather be on the inside of your home looking out or on the outside looking in? It makes a difference, doesn't it? Would you rather be on a ship looking overboard or would you rather be overboard looking at a ship? Friends, it makes a difference. It makes a difference whether our emotions are under control or out of control. God wants to restore our broken dreams and fractured emotions. How does he do this? That's the question. How does he do this? Is it by giving us a perfect environment or circumstances? No. Otherwise, we would live in a perfect environment. We would live under perfect circumstances. That's not what he has in mind. It's by giving us perfect promises through the perfect covenant in his perfect son, Jesus Christ. That's how he heals us. Perfect promises through a perfect covenant through a perfect son. And friends, when you come into that revelation, that reality check that says, I have a perfect savior. I live inside a perfect Jesus. I have a perfect covenant. Then you'll quit looking for the perfect set of circumstances. You'll quit looking for the perfect environment. I appreciate those as well myself, but they're not essential. Friends, life has some under moments It has some over moments. It has some inside moments. It has some outside moments. That's weaving 101 for you. You got it? That's how weaving works. The scriptures encourage us not to grow weary in well-doing. It says, for in due season, you shall reap a harvest if you faint not. Did you know that Isaac found himself in a famine? And do you know what he did? The scriptures say he sowed He sowed into the ground in the midst of famine when everybody was laughing at him because you need water, friends. That's why you have a famine. There was no water. Why are you putting seed in the ground when there's no water? The Bible says that Isaac sowed in the midst of famine and reaped a hundredfold the same year he sowed. Famine couldn't steal the dreams that the dream weaver had put in his heart. I'm telling you COVID and chaos and corruption cannot steal our dreams. We sow in the midst of these chaotic moments. Friends, you may feel like you're going through a spiritual famine, but I've come by today to treat your toxic emotions by weaving your spirit and soul and body together with God's promises god's provisions that reverberate with yes and amen can you see them his promises are yes and amen in embracing the dream weaver's promises the grave clothes that are stinking up our dreams stinking up our thinking and binding our soul and body from living life are removed they are taken away there are seasons When we come under the weight, I get it, we come under the weight of all kinds of pressures, all kinds of circumstances. I feel that many of those pressures are at loose on the earth right now. I'm talking about times when we feel like we've been weaved into the landscape of darkness and despair and depression and destruction. We must understand something that when we face times like this, this is not a sign that God has forgotten us. This is the time that we fix our gaze on the great and almighty dream weaver of all times. Friends, I'm telling you, if you stare at chaos, you'll lose track of your dreams. Some people will forfeit their dreams because chaos begins to grow. I've said it before. Anything you put under a magnifying glass gets bigger. It's a small issue, but under a magnifying glass, it's a big issue. In anything we concentrate on, negativity, anything we're looking at that does not have a yes and amen attached to it, I'm telling you, it begins to grow in our hearts. This is a fundamental message. I get it. But it's an important message that we begin to understand. What is it that's robbing me of my hopes? What is it that's robbing me of the plans that I made? What's taking away the desires that God gave me at one time? What's interfering, if you will, with my dreams? Weaving begins at creation. God said these words to the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 1 and verse 5. God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, he said, I set you apart. That word set apart means I sanctified you. I made you holy. I consecrated you. You see, you had nothing to do with it, friends. He said, before I formed you in the belly of your mother, in the womb itself, he said, I knew you. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. Now you say, what did he do? What does that scripture do for me? (laughs) I'll tell you what it does for you. It demonstrates to us that God is in touch with his creation. He's not a bystander. He's not hiding behind the bush. No, he's there. He's ever present. God is in touch with his creation. Nothing is random with him. God has his fingerprints on the loom that has knitted us together. No man goes overboard without the father's awareness. Jesus said these words right here in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29. He said, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? Some versions say a penny. So you can see very insignificant amount. He said, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. The father's with that sparrow, the father sees that sparrow, He said, nothing escapes my daddy's eyes. So the stuff that you think you're going through, that you think is a little odd, a little strange, a little unfamiliar, a little uncharted, I'm telling you, nothing surprises the father. He's with us in times. He said, a sparrow cannot even fall to the ground. An insignificant sparrow. There's millions, billions of those things. He said, I'm telling you, they're so insignificant, but not one of them can fall to the ground without my daddy seeing it. What did he want us to see? Some areas of the scripture say, are you not more important? Friends, we are definitely more important than a sparrow in daddy's eyes. As much as the great dream weaver knitted Jeremiah together in his mother's womb, he does the same for us. He forms us on purpose. He forms us for His purpose. We are made in His likeness and image, and we're made for Him. We were created for Him, to have fellowship with Him. Not only does weaving begin at creation, but weaving is also a part of our growing process. We in life are up and down, inside and out. We are learning and growing. It's part of the growing process. We are being weaved sometimes into other people's lives. My wife and I would always say knitted together. Same thing. We're just knitted together. That's what we do. That's why it's important to come to church. That's why it's important for us to meet because what we do is we knit our hearts to each other. We become weaved with one another. What happens when we're weaved together? Remember that cord of three strands? You're stronger together than you are by yourself. You're more beautiful. You can make something when you're together and you're working together. See, that's why. It's not just a command you need to go to church. You need to meet together. No, he said that because he knows we'll be stronger I'll never forget back in the 1980s, a man I was listening to, I was listening to his cassettes to try to become a better salesperson. I don't know if they worked or not, but trying to become a better salesperson. And he told the story of how he met with this tribe in the African jungles. And he was there with them for weeks, months. And when it came time for him to leave one of the tribe's elderly ladies came walking up with her crooked little stick and she couldn't speak English. And so she used an interpreter and with tears, she was crying and pleading with him, don't go. You see, he went there and they fell in love with this man. And she looked at her interpreter and said something. And the man said, what did she say? And the interpreter said, she said, that she likes herself better because of you. She likes herself better when you're here. Isn't that wonderful? You see, we have an ability to draw from one another. My weaknesses might be your strengths and you're able to impart. My strengths might help you in your weak areas. We're better together, friends. We are. So weaving begins at creation, It's also a part of the growing process. We have some ups and downs. We have some ins and outs. Weaving is also a part of the transformation process. Remember, I said behind every painting is a painter. And within the weaving that is taking place in our lives, we find the weaver. Friends, I'm going to say something to you. He will weave us, but he will never leave us. Come on. I want you to remember that one. Oh, he'll weave you all day long, but he won't leave you for a second. Amen. He is weaving. What is he weaving? He is weaving his hopes, his plans, his desires, and his dreams together. Where? In the secret place of our souls. Even in the midst of toxic emotion, sauerkraut, and ice cream, even in the midst of our unwillingness to let go of the grave clothes of the old covenant, even in the midst of our man overboard and blizzard-like condition, even in the midst of our fascination with Saul's armor, inside and outside, over and under, Papa God is weaving our lives, making something very beautiful out of his creation, restoring our identity, renovating our minds renewing our hope refreshing our bodies resuscitating our hearts remediating our emotions and reviving our broken dreams i guess you could call him the dream weaver couldn't you you sure could there was a time when man was absolutely perfect didn't last very long but there was a time when man was perfect but through sin the first man what was his name adam of course He fell into COVID, he fell into chaos, and he fell into a corrupted state of being. Through Adam's disobedience, he was weaved from inside the Garden of Eden to the outside of the Garden of Eden. You know that, don't you, through the scriptures? He got weaved, didn't he? He weaved himself. He went from dominion to disease, from fearless to fearful, and from sinless to sinner. But through Jesus' obedience, the scriptures say, the many were made righteous. I want you to get that in your heart this morning. The many were made righteous. And when sin tried to climb on top of the new creation in Christ, grace did much more abound and pushed it under. When sin tried once again to come on the inside of us, grace held it to the outside. The scriptures tell us that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There is no over and under. There's no in and out when it comes to grace. It's a finished work. It's a constant work. How many of you know (laughs) that the Jews had a reputation for idolatry and disobedience? You see, because of their history with harsh taskmasters under Pharaoh, their taste buds got set. Their taste buds were set to have a poor image of themselves, they had a poor image of authority, and most of the time they had a poor image of God because they had been under the taskmaster so long. So they had this poor image. They were like man overboard and constantly needing to be rescued. They just needed to be rescued all the time. They were trying to solve their problems with the same thinking they used when they created them. As a result, You know what happened? God allowed the remnant of the Jews to be carried into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And throughout the book of Jeremiah, we see the hardships of the Jews, but we also see daddy's heart bleeding through the bars of captivity. We see daddy's heart bleeding to purchase them out of their toxic emotions and mindsets, desiring that they might taste and see that the Lord is good. Moreover, we see an example of how they were instructed to live in the midst of less than favorable conditions. This is important for us today too, friends. Don't just pin this on Jeremiah. Don't just pin this on the Jews. There's a principle here that still stands this day. So they were instructed how to live in the midst of unfavorable conditions and to never lose hope in the plans that God had for their lives. That was Jeremiah's plea to them. He talked to them about plans that would prosper them. He talked to them about plans that would give them a hope and a future, plans that would do them no harm, plans for their good and not for evil, plans that would usher in an expected end. We see this truth opening in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 11. It says this, The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, sends this message to all the captives. He has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Here's the message. He said, build homes. What? How many of you know when you're in an unstable market, homes don't sell, and nobody's building homes? That's an unstable market they just moved into. They're in Babylon. The first thing he says, I want you to build homes. And he said, and by the way, plan to stay. (laughs) He says, plant vineyards for you will be there many years. See, so often we are hoping that our circumstances, our issues of life, our unpleasant things going on will just pass. Somehow we'll get on the right side of it and then we'll start acting like we used to before that happened. Friends, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, these guys were carried into Babylon, and God said, first thing I want you to do is I want you to build homes. Homes is more than just a house, friends. House is just a structure, man. A home is the family. He said, I want you to build homes. I want you to build your family. And he says, look, I don't care how many suitcases you left Jerusalem with, you need to plan to stay. And then he says, plant vineyards. It takes a while to grow up a vineyard, friends. A few years, right? He says, for you will be there many years. He says, marry and have children and then find mates for them and have many grandchildren. Multiply, don't dwindle away. What in the world was God trying to communicate to the Jews in Babylon? Friends, it's so simple. Live life! and see good days. Build homes, grow families, plant vineyards, stay for a while. He's telling look, live life just like you would have lived back in Jerusalem. Live life here that way. Live life and see good days. Carry on as usual. Don't allow your circumstances and your man overboard emotions to rob you of your hopes and your plans, and your desires, and your dreams, dreams that included a family, dreams that included a home, dreams that included a vineyard. God is trying to tell them, you can let go of your toxic emotions. I suppose the one that was in full bloom at that time was just disgust and hatred. That's toxic, friends. Very toxic. Let go of the toxic emotions of Hatred and fear and anger. Take what's left of the bamboo and linen strips and pull them from the rubble of Jerusalem and weave them into something creative. Grab a hold of the grapevine in Babylon and weave for yourself a vineyard. Make something beautiful. Make something life-changing. Make something functional, even in the midst of chaos. See, too often, friends, we just try to pray everything away. Look, there's nothing wrong with praying. You should be praying. But you cannot just pray everything away. You say, Mark, are you sure about that? You just go pray away your 30-year mortgage and let me know how that's working for you next Sunday, okay? You don't just pray things away. You ask for provision. You ask for the right attitude in the midst of situations that are going on in your life. Dark, depressing situations. You ask for a right response. What's my response in the middle of this thing? Life changing. Make something functional, even in the midst of chaos. Isn't that what Jesus did for us, friends, at the cross? Sure, He did. Friends, may I remind us that His adversaries, Jesus' adversaries, weaved a crown of thorns and beat them into His brow, into His head. You know why he did that? So that we could be exiled from Babylon once for all. I'm talking about the Babylon in our spirits. There's no Babylon there whatsoever. It cannot come in and then back out and then in again. No, that's why it's so important to deal with this soulish realm that affects our mind, will, and emotions and our bodies. Continuing, he says, also seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. <laughs> That's going to be a tripwire for somebody. Come on. The people that just carried me away, I'm going to, what? Seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon? Oh, Oh, that's going to take me a while to get up to that one now, Lord. I'm working on it. Now, what does he say else? Oh, pray for her? Oh, wait a minute now. Friends, look at the word. Look at the instruction. They've been carried into a land they're not familiar with. They don't want to be there. What's God say to them? Seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Pray for her for if Babylon has peace, so will you. One version says if Babylon prospers, so will you. See, what we want to do is we want to throw Babylon under the bus. We don't want to pray for Babylon. I have watched the Father change situations that looked like Babylon in my life. Why? Because I chose to pray. And because I chose to speak good things into those situations, speak light and love into those situations. And I've watched the Father change those situations, not all overnight. In fact, most of them weren't. Take an ice cube and put it in his hand and watch that person turn into a puddle in the hand of daddy. It's so beautiful to see. Seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Pray for her, for if Babylon has peace, so will you. The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, look what he says, don't let the false prophets and mediums who are there among you fool you. He says, don't listen to the dreams that they invent. They prophesy lies in my name. So we don't just grab anybody's dream and run with it. We don't necessarily just trust in our own dreams and think they're all God-inspired. What we do is we look into the New Covenant. We look into the Scriptures. We look into the Father's Word. We listen to the Dream Weavers' dreams for us. And we'll find out what they are in a second. He says, I have not sent them, says the Lord. The truth is this. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised and bring you home again. Look at this next one. This is the next scripture is the one that we're all so familiar with. Before <laughs> I know the thoughts, I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. How many of you know that scripture? Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, for I'm acquainted." I'm familiar with the thoughts that I think toward you. How? Because they're my thoughts, saith the Lord. And he said, they're thoughts of peace. The very same thing I asked you to pray for in the midst of your chaos. He said, I've got that same thought toward you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now, Justin, I'm going to start moving through some slides here, so stay with me and watch me, okay? It gets a little tricky. So this word, expected, it comes from the... Hebrew word, tikvah. It literally means accord. Figuratively, expectancy. Expectation, hope, or a thing that I've longed for. That's tikvah. So God is saying, I want to give you an expected end. When we look at the definition, we go, accord? You want to give me a cord? Well, that is literally what it means. Figuratively, he's saying, this is a hope. This is the very thing that I've longed for, that God has longed for. Now, I want you to look at this word tikvah. Tikvah comes from the root word kavah. Do you see how close they are in spelling? Tikvah's root word is kavah, which means to bind together by twisting or weaving. The expected end has something to do with a cord, Being twisted together, weaved together. Friends, didn't I tell you that when we're weaved together in spirit, soul, and body, we become strong. We get our dreams back. We don't lose hope. We have an expected hope. Friends, our expected hope has been hand-weaved by God. Let me tell you something about it. It's beautiful, it's complete, and it's functional. I want to draw our attentions back to the beginning when I said in the message that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Why? Because it has been weaved together in the same manner. We have been weaved together by our Father in our mother's womb and in Jesus' heart. We are weaved together with a three-strand cord of the Trinity. But the expected end, the hopeful end, is that we will allow the gospel of grace to weave together our spirit, our soul, and our body. What in perfect peace, because we are going to be here many years. Let me ask you a question. What causes us to let go of our dreams? Come on, you guys have all had dreams, and sometimes over the years we just seem to let go. What is it? What causes us to let go of our dreams? What causes us to grow weary in well-doing? Could it be that we spend more time, listen to me carefully, staring at the extreme deceiver rather than the dream weaver? When I suggest that we might be spending more time staring at the extreme deceiver, I'm not referring to the devil. Take him off your list, okay? but I'm talking about staring at the Old Covenant. It's an extreme deceiver for the believer. I'm talking about when we stare at our toxic emotions and wonder, how am I ever going to get out of this? And we keep staring at our failures, our problems. We stare at our toxic emotions. We're staring at the extreme deceiver. I'm talking about staring at the wardrobe that we've amassed of grave clothes hanging in our closet. I'm talking about we're staring at COVID and chaos and corruption. I'm talking about staring at the fallen sparrow. I'm talking about staring at broken dreams and Babylonian sojourns. Subtle things that rob us of our hopes and our dreams. Friends, it shouldn't be so, but staring at all of these failures, staring at all of these disappointments creates stress. Stress affects our emotions and our bodies, in particular our kidneys. I told you that earlier. It affects our kidneys, the very filtration system of waste and toxins. I want you to look at these next scriptures Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 15. David was writing one day and he said these words He says, For thou hast possessed my reigns, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, I love this, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. It literally means when I was made in the secret place. And curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. What in the world are you talking about? I want you to see, now this, it starts off by saying, for thou hast possessed my reigns. I want you to take a look at this word possessed. In the Hebrew, it literally means to buy. It means to redeem. It means to purchase. David was uh, aware of the economy system in those days. And he put it in words that he said, the closest I can get is it feels like somebody bought me. It feels like somebody purchased me. It feels like somebody redeemed me. He said, "Thou, O oh God, has purchased. Thou hast bought. Thou hast redeemed. Thou hast possessed my reins." What are reins, friends? I couldn't make this up in a million years. You look in your Hebrew concordance. Reins refers to the kidneys. The kidneys are the seat of the emotions. And David said, God, I'm telling you from the depths of my soul, this was more than an on-the-surface transaction. It feels like it's down here in my filtration system, in the seat of my emotions where I process things. He says, you've purchased You've tapped into the very core of who I am. It's the place where I store my emotions. Our kidneys is where we store our deepest emotions. Whether they're negative or positive, they filter through the kidneys, friends. And David was saying, you purchased me. You paid the price for my overboard emotions, You've redeemed me from my train wreck thinking. And then he says, Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. The word covered, (laughs) look at that. It means to weave, it means to knit together. That's what David is saying here. He's saying, Thou hast covered me. Thou hast. Weave me, thou hast knitted together me in my mother's womb. That word means to weave, to knit together. Therefore, the literal translation would be, thou hast woven me in my mother's womb. David was declaring that God had put his parts together as one who weaves of cloth or one who weaves a basket. David said that he was fearfully and wonderfully made that speaks of a finished work that speaks of a completed product when you say it's been made he said you purchased me father formed and fashioned in the secret place of his mother's womb by who by the great dream weaver that's who did it you see when you see the hebrew definitions behind our english words possessed rains, covered, and wrought. And by the way, that word wrought literally means embroidered. Do you see this, man? It shows you that daddy has his hands. You can't embroider without hands. You can't knit without hands. You need hands for this. Daddy's up close. He's personal. He's got his hands on us. He never takes his hands off us. We never fall out of his hands. In fact, the scriptures, even after the greatest probably scriptures of grace in the new covenant where it says in Ephesians chapter two, he says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then he says, for we are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. He said, I'm your handiwork. I'm like a tapestry hanging on the wall or draped across the bed. How many of you know when you put together a quilt, there's got to be some love that goes into it. It's not worth the pay to to just get paid for these things. You got to do it because you love somebody, man, because there's a lot of blood, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears that go into that kind of handiwork. We've got quilts like that that have been made for us by the family. and We cherish that. We cherish those. So let's ask the question again. What causes people to let go of their dreams? What causes us to grow weary in well-doing? What causes the toxic emotions of anger and fear and emptiness and jealousy and guilt and loneliness and inadequacy and shame and condemnation and frustration? What causes us to let go of our hope and allow all this nonsense to come rushing in? What does that? I don't think there's a single answer for that. But I can tell you this. Because in time of trouble, we are quick to grab our own knitting needles. We are quick to grab our own crochet hook. We are quick to grab our own loom. And through the flesh, we attempt to fix our circumstances rather than letting the dream weaver transform the way we see things, the way we believe, the way we understand. Hear the words of the Lord, even in the midst of chaos. He said, build homes and plan to stay. Plant vineyards for you will be there many years. Marry and have children and find mates for them and have many grandchildren. Multiply, don't dwindle away. Seek peace and prosperity at all times. Don't listen to the liar's dreams. You listen to the dream weaver's dreams. Friends, in due time, the father will do for us all the good things that he has promised and he will bring us home again. In other words, we live life and we see good days regardless of our circumstances. You see, the scriptures say in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12, I'm familiar with this scripture. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. We usually stop it right there. But look at the second part of that. But a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Friends, I believe that hope deferred can make the heart sick, but not when the heart is attached to the dream of the tree of life. That tree of life is Christ. And when our hope is weaved into the warm environment of justification by grace through faith, then we are introduced to a hope that will never disappoint us. My final scriptures. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Look at these next words. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You're not boasting in your own hope. You're boasting in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings other words, there's going to be times, friends, in the physical realm that we live in, we're taken to Babylon. <laughs> but that doesn't change my rejoicing. We rejoice not because of suffering. We rejoice in suffering. When we're there, when we can't seem to get out, when we feel like man overboard, he says we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. We know that suffering has this transforming work. We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character. hope. there it is again. Oh, here it goes the third time. And hope does not put us to shame. In fact, this kind of hope that I'm talking about, friend, takes away shame. It says this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. Isn't that beautiful news? Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. We are perfect in our spirit. The fruit of transformation is taking place in our souls and in our bodies through the revelation of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Christ, you will find the provision for the healing of toxic emotions and fragmented thoughts within the new covenant. All is available to us by grace through faith. When we embrace the gracious and warm and loving heart of the dream weaver, it reestablishes the flora of our spiritual core. It brings hope, it brings an expected end, it brings a hope that will never disappoint us, friends. Inasmuch as our kidneys filter waste and toxic substances, so it is with grace. Grace filters everything through the cross of Christ. Grace filters everything through the blood of Christ. No impurities survive. The grave clothes of the old covenant were removed and discarded when the stone was rolled away. We have been set free from the smell of death and our lives, friends, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God's nostrils. Let me ask you a question. Was it the commandments that made us perfect? Of course not. The scriptures tell us that the law made nothing perfect, but bringing in of a better hope dead by which we draw nigh to God. Friends, the old covenant was made obsolete. It has no authority over the believer. We do not wear Saul's armor, we wear the robe of righteousness. When this truth becomes our reality, the striving to become, the striving to be, the striving to maintain our righteousness will close. So let's ask the question again. Why does the constitution of an ice cube change once swallowed? Oh, it's so simple. It's because of the new environment. That's what does it. Friends, we are no longer man overboard. We are in Christ, the place of warmth and the love and acceptance and grace. In this new environment, we cannot remain the same. Our constitution changes. We are a puddle in the warm hands of our Papa. Friends, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking that we use to create them. If flesh created the sin problem, then flesh cannot solve the sin problem. But in Christ, there is no sin problem. Why? Because all of our sins have been taken away, they are sins overboard, and they have been drowned in the sea. Even in the midst of our raging seas, Even in the midst of our blizzard cold hearts at times. Even in the midst of our train wreck lives. Even in the midst when we feel like we're in Babylonian captivity. I've come by today to remind us that our father will weave us. But he'll never leave us. He is weaving his hopes, his plans, his desires, and his dreams together in the secret place of our souls. Papa God is weaving our lives, making something very beautiful very fragrant out of his creation, restoring our identity, renovating our minds, renewing our hope, refreshing our bodies, resuscitating our hearts, remediating our emotions, but most of all, reviving our broken dreams. Friends, we can call him by many names. God Father, Abba, Papa. or we can call him by my favorite, Daddy. I like that one. We can call him by all of those things because he is all of those things. Or we can call him by what he is to us. And friends, to me, he is my dream weaver. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you that your hands have always been on my life. And even from a child, even from an embryo, in fact, even before that, when you began the knitting process to attach me on the inside of my mother's womb, the scriptures say that you knew me. The scriptures say that you set me apart. You sanctified me. You made me holy, how? By Jesus' body on the cross. Father, you made me perfect in my spirit. And I'm so thankful for this gospel of grace that remediates my soulish realm. I'm thankful, Father, that these wayward emotions and wrong-headed thoughts are cast overboard into the sea. And I bear them no more. I thank you, Father, that I and the people sitting under my voice are growing in this revelation of how good this gospel of grace is. There's nothing like it. Jesus did it all. And Father, thank you that we have this living hope. We sing about it today. We have a living hope. Where's that living hope? In Christ alone. You said in your word that not even a sparrow can fall to the ground without my father knowing it, Jesus. You said that how much more are you there and active in our lives? And Father, when we find ourselves in circumstances that we didn't sign up for, circumstances that we would normally rebuke and move along, circumstances that we're in like COVID and chaos and corruption, I thank you, Father. I hear the word of the Lord saying, plant homes, plant vineyards, grow your family, pray for peace, pray for prosperity because as The nation prospers. We prosper with it. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you, Father, that your plans and your dreams and hopes for our own lives are within reach. It's not deferred like we think it is. Under the new covenant, the hope lives on the inside of us, and that hope is Jesus Christ and him alone. And so we're not reaching into our future to somehow apprehend hope. No, hope lives on the inside of us. Jesus is my living hope. Father, thank you for being my dream weaver. In Jesus' name, amen.